On this edition of Jerusalem Dateline, billions of eyes are on Qatar for this year's World Cup tournament. While Israeli soccer fans join in on the fun, Israel is concerned its citizens could be in danger. Plus, Netanyahu's coalition negotiations continue, and Azerbaijan takes a major step towards the Jewish state. And we deep dive into an ancient Ethiopian holiday in Jerusalem. All this and more on Jerusalem Dateline. Hello and welcome to this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. I'm Chris Mitchell. Billions of people are tuning in for the biggest sporting event on the planet, the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Israel's foreign ministry estimates that some 20,000 Israelis will fly to Qatar to watch the games, even though the two countries have no formal diplomatic ties. On Sunday, Israelis and Palestinians flew together on the first ever direct flight between Israel and Qatar. Despite the fanfare, Israel is urging its citizens in Qatar to downplay their Israeli identity and hide Jewish symbols to avoid being the target of any possible attack. The Jerusalem Post reports that Qatar has also banned the sale of most kosher food and public Jewish prayer. Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition negotiations have received a lot of press coverage recently as the country waits to see if the new government and cabinet can be formed. I spoke to Israeli journalist Ruthie Blim about the status of the negotiations, Israel's government, and what we can expect in the next few weeks. Ruthie Blum, uh, thanks for joining us, a columnist for the Jewish uh, News Syndicate. Tell us the coalition talks are going on right now before uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and many of the other parties. Tell us your assessment of where the coalition talks are right now. Well, it's hard to tell what is spin in the media and what is truth, okay? At the moment, they're stuck, these talks. But that doesn't really mean anything because Netanyahu has 28 days from the time he was given the mandate to form the coalition. He had 28 days to do so and an extra 14 extension if he doesn't manage to do so within the 28 days allocated. And right now, it's only been a few days. So this is very normal. What's going on is very normal. What's perhaps not as normal is the assumption on the part of the right wing that, I mean, right wing voters, that because this is such a kind of homogeneous or seemingly homogeneous group, unlike the, the outgoing government, that things would go so smoothly that there would be a government in no time. And what we all forgot to take into account is that precisely because it's a right-wing uh, group of parties and very few of them, each one feels that he has um, more leverage, let's put it that way. Right. Because you see, if any of these parties, Likud is the largest party in the Knesset anyway, and it's certainly the largest party in this coalition information. However, it's nothing without its partners, and its partners know that, and they are trying very hard to milk it for all it's worth. So, but whether they're going to actually, whether they're going to actually act on this or just are playing a chicken game in order to get the best deal they can is unclear. Yeah, there's been talk uh, in the media, at least, that uh, Smoltrich is uh, demanding the defense ministry. Is that what you understand as well? And that he's not giving yes. up on that demand? 
Well, the latest news is that he's willing to give up on the dem- every every five minutes that changes. Okay, he was demanding the defense ministry, but it's possible that he was doing that in order to um, then get a better ministry than he would have if he hadn't demanded that. But the reason he's demanding the defense ministry, and I'll get to that now, is he said he's willing to accept the finance ministry if he is also given um, certain kinds of control uh, over things relating to Judea and Samaria, otherwise known as the West Bank, claiming that this is why he wanted to be in charge of the defense ministry in the first place. Uh, Final question, uh, Ruthie. What role does the media play in all this? Is negotiations, rumors, and accusations? Well, most of the media... Uh, media outlets in Israel are anti-Netanyahu. So throughout this uh, last government, they were treating the powers that be with kid gloves. And because anything in their eyes would have been better and is better than a Netanyahu-led government or than Netanyahu specifically. So anything those same outlets say right now is suspicious, okay? It doesn't mean that they're lying, but you have to take it with a grain of salt. They're uh, introducing uh, rumors that are unfavorable to Netanyahu (laughs) um, at the moment. Yeah. Because they hate him. Well, Ruthie Bloom uh, with uh, JNS Syndicate, uh, thanks for joining us on Jerusalem Dateline. Thank you, Chris. Last week, we covered the ceremony honoring the Arab Christian police officer who sacrificed his life to stop a Palestinian terror attack in the Jewish town of Bnei Brak. As one historian explains, the response to his death showed a very real side of Israel that rarely makes the headlines. We're speaking with Gil Troy, a commentator for the Jerusalem Post, about the death of Amir Khori. Gil, who was Amir Khori? Everybody always says, oh, Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs don't get along. Amir Khoury was a Christian Arab-Israeli police officer who, when he heard shots during a terrorist attack in May, didn't go in the opposite direction but ran toward the shots, stopped a terrorist attack, but unfortunately was murdered by the terrorists. So he's an Israeli hero. What impact did his death have on Israelis? The terrorist was in a neighborhood of ultra-Orthodox Jews. And in the stereotypical Israel, you can't think of a greater gap between Israeli Arabs and ultra-Orthodox Jews. His funeral was mobbed by ultra-Orthodox Jews who came to show respect. Some of them lived in the neighborhood and some of them didn't. And it was a moment in Israeli history where people saw that we're one and we don't define one another by our parents and grandparents and ancestors and ethnic groups. We define each other by our souls and by our common citizenship. And to make it even more tragic, Amir Khoury's fiancée had to bury him. And everyone just kind of hugged this woman and wanted to be a part of this woman's story. And everybody wanted her to know that we define her and her husband-to-be by the good things they did in their lives. And we're not racists, we're not bigots. We're human beings who want to live together and get along. What does this say about Israel? It shows what I call my sweet Israel. It shows the Israel of the soul. 
it shows the Israel that never makes the front pages of the New York Times and doesn't have the lead stories in CNN, but is the Israel that any tourist come and sees. Our evangelical Christian friends who come see it and sing it with it and dance with it. And it's so important that we go beyond the headlines, that we go beyond the dualities, and we go beyond the gaps, and we work together as one. And understand, this is a 75-year-old miracle in the making, and it's a miracle that's about a Jewish state, a democratic Jewish state, which has room in its heart for Arabs, for Christians, for all all kinds of people because we are one. Thank you, Gil. We've been speaking with Jerusalem Post commentator Gil Troy about the death of Amir Khoury. Coming up, he's a Christian Arab and Israel's ambassador to a primarily Shiite Muslim nation. We'll meet Israel's George Deke and see how he's fighting for peace across the Middle East. Now, for a limited time, you can get five of CBN's critically acclaimed documentaries. Experience the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. The historic bonds between the Jewish people and the land of Israel cannot be broken. Relive the battle for Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. Jerusalem is yours forever. Discover how Israeli volunteers are changing the world. When people need us, we volunteer and we come and help. Explore the world of Israeli technological innovation. We're people of dreams. God gives us dreams. And that's really the roots, I think, of, of much of our innovation. And understand the biggest land dispute in history. Many Palestinian Arabs claim that the Jews stole Arab land. But is that the real story? This exclusive Israel DVD collection can be yours for a gift of $29.99 or more. Call now or go online to get your Israel DVD bundle, which includes streaming access. Download the CBN News app, 24-7 News, from a Christian perspective at home or on the road. One place for all of your news. Breaking news alerts. Set daily prayer goals and pray for news stories. Read the most important news and watch CBN News Channel Live. CBN News, because truth matters. Go to CBNNewsApp.com to get the app today. As we enter the Jewish New Year, there's no better time to explore the holidays of Israel. In CBN's free guide, Israel's Major Holidays, you'll discover why these special occasions are so central to Jewish life and culture. You'll even learn about the biblical feasts and festivals that Jesus observed throughout his life. Get your free copy. Call 1-800-700-7000 or go to cbn.com slash Israel Holidays. Azerbaijan just announced it will become the first Shiite Muslim country to open an embassy in Tel Aviv. It's the latest sign of blossoming ties between Israel and this Muslim nation. CBN Scott Ross spoke with Israel's ambassador to Azerbaijan, who made history as the nation's first ever Christian Arab ambassador. Meet George Deek. Born in Jaffa, or in Hebrew, Yafo, Deke is Israel's first Christian Arab ambassador. You can actually see both uh, Jaffa and uh, Tel Aviv here. You know, right. Jaffa is the oldest port city in the world it, that still exists. Really? It is at least 8,000 years old. And the funny thing is Tel Aviv is less than 100 years old. And we're called a suburb of Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv Jaffa. Well, I think it should be Jaffa Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're... Big in size, but we're big in history. A lawyer by profession, Deke grew up in the Orthodox Christian community in Jaffa. 
So I love this contrast of all the new, of modern and ancient, conservative, small town, to this hyper-innovative new city that is revolutionizing the world in many ways. I spoke with Deek ahead of his first posting in Azerbaijan, a Shiite Muslim-majority nation. Why would a Christian Arab choose to be an ambassador for the Jewish state? I've dedicated uh, more than a decade now uh, for advocating for the case for, of the state of Israel, and I'm very passionate about this. It is an important cause that I truly believe in. How did you arrive at that as, a, as an Arab, to em embrace Jewish values, the Jewish state? Jewish people. And I grew up a block away from where we're sitting right now and in our building there were four apartments. So on the first floor it was us, an Arab Christian family. Across from us was an Arab Muslim family. Above them lived a religious Jewish couple and on the other side above us lived a Catholic priest who was originally born Jewish, saved by a monastery during the Holocaust in Poland, uh, became a priest on the one condition that he would be sent to serve as a priest in the land of his forefathers in Israel. That environment for me symbolizes the essence of the diversity that makes this country what it is. It is where Jews and Christians and Muslims can live their faith without fear, where Arab doctors treat Jewish patients in hospitals in Tel Aviv and Jewish doctors treat Arab patients from Syria up north. Deek said supporting a democratic Israel also helps ensure a Christian future in the Middle East. Israel is just as important to me as an Arab, as a Christian, than it is for any Jewish uh, citizen of the country. Because I believe that a Middle East with no room for a Jewish state is a Middle East that has no room for anyone who is different. But your view is in the minority, isn't it? It's not so much a minority view, because people might feel it, but they don't always have the way to articulate it. But at the same time, what I do, representing the state of Israel, is not always warmly received by everyone. Some people like it, and some people don't like it. Several years ago, as Deke was speaking at the University of California, students calling themselves Students for Justice in Palestine interrupted his talk and tried to prevent him from continuing. How do you view the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel? You know, Israel has faced many adversaries uh, since its existence. And today we see a new way of trying to put Israel in a crisis. And they're trying to put Israel, this time, in a moral crisis by trying to bring good and well-meaning people into questioning the right of Israel to exist. The reasons change but the hate stays the same. There's a commandment from the New Testament, love your enemies. How do you do that? It's not an easy commandment. It's probably the toughest one to handle for me as a Christian. But I'll tell you one thing. In the Middle East, and in Israel in particular, we don't have the luxury of being a pessimist because only by keeping hope alive, mm -hmm. then we can aspire that hope will keep us alive. You know, a lot of people think that our stories, the Jewish story and the Arab story, are irreconcilable, that one comes on the expense of the other, that we cannot live together. I completely disagree. Deke's grandparents fled the fighting in Israel's War of Independence in 1948, yet, against the odds, they returned. And what is it that binds the Jewish story and my family and my community story together? It is the fact that we both endured a, a great suffering and yet we chose responsibility, not victimhood. 
we both went through terrible tragedies and we chose self-help, not self-pity, life, not death. Mm -hmm. It is the story of hope. And if they could do it back then, there's no reason we cannot do it today. Are you assured that what you believe is going to secure the future for your children? It is a, basically a, a fact mm -hmm. that Israel is the only place in the Middle East where people of all faiths can live without fear. It is the only place that shows a model how a country can allow you the possibility to be true to who you are and at the same time be a blessing to others regardless of who they are. But it is a fact that here it is the only place that still we have that light, we have the truth, we have that wisdom. Hopefully when I will have children they will grow up in this country to be proud of who they are and to help others and to be a blessing to their country and to their uh, fellow citizens regardless of who those people are. Scott Ross for CBN Tel Aviv, Yafo, Israel. Up next, a beloved Israeli musician brings worship concerts to some of Israel's most iconic places. Names from the Old Testament are being unearthed all over the city of Jerusalem. This was amazing. Come as close as you can get to personalities that are known from the Bible. Astonishing discoveries made today. A jaw-dropping moment of Bible archaeology. This is much more than a thrill. This is actual history that took place here on the site where we sit right now. Confirm the kings and prophets of the Bible left real evidence of their lives. Right time, the right place, with the right people. And one of the most significant finds in recent history. Exactly as the Bible tells us happened in the days of King Hezekiah. Written in stone, kings and prophets. We have the Bible and we have archaeologists. Telling our story, it's matching. The Old Testament is a reliable history book. Get your copy today for a gift of any dollar amount. Call now or go to cbn.com slash written in stone. Hello, everyone. I am so happy we are together for one of my most favorite times of the year, Thanksgiving Day. Gizmo and friends have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my family, my friends. For God and all that he has created. We have resources to be able to live and the Holy Spirit. Join the CBN Animation Club and get the great Thanksgiving turkey test. Plus two copies to share with others. All for your gift of only $25. Spreading hope and breaking cultural barriers. That's Joshua Aaron's goal with concerts in Israel and throughout the world. In this second part of our interview, he talks about the origins of his music and his message of reconciliation. Tell us about your music background. How, who influenced you in your life? 
Well, it's definitely my mother. I grew up in a Christian and Jewish home, if that makes any sense. A Christian father and a Jewish Orthodox raised Israeli mother. So I grew up just singing all the time with my mother, but my mother's favorite singer was Elvis Presley. And her favorite music of his, even as an Orthodox Jew or religious Jew, was his gospel song. So I got to see and hear my mom tell stories about how God used him to open up her heart um, through music. So for me, not necessarily only Elvis, but a lot of musical styles. I just loved what what music does to people. I think it's the greatest language. I'm very passionate about my faith in Jesus and Yeshua, as we call him in Hebrew, um, and I just love singing about it. Tell us about your latest project. We just released Live at the Garden Tomb. It's a sing about the Savior at a place that represents or could have been the place where he was buried and risen again is just uh, is un unbelievable. I wanted to emphasize our Jewish Savior and um, the prayers that he taught us. One song we wrote the music to, the Our Father, Avinu. It's all in Hebrew. And it's this beautiful melody with Yoron Cherniak, who plays a lot with me, Middle Eastern instruments. And then we sang what we titled The Greatest Commandment, or also Shema, taken from Matthew. When they asked him, what are the greatest commandment? He started with, Hero Israel, the Lord of God. We ended this album with the blessing. The blessing has been sung thousands of ways in Judaism. Most people don't know this, but when Jesus ascended into heaven, before that, he reached out his hands to bless his disciples, and most scholars say that he was doing the Aaronic blessing. Another song would probably be a song called Come and See that we wrote specifically for the Garden Tomb, and it tells the story. Really, the subtitle is Tate from the Table to the Tomb, from Passover all the way from his betrayal his death, burial, and then, of course, resurrection. Come and see, come and see where he lives. So some people might think this doesn't happen, but you also sing with Arab believers. Absolutely. You know, I wish they showed that on the news. There's a lot of Jewish-Arab relations that's beautiful here. At our Garden Tomb album, we revisited a song I did years ago called Gadol Elohai, where I sang How Great Is Our God in Hebrew. And I invited my friend Nizar Francis, who was a uh, really well-known Israeli-Arab wedding singer all throughout Israel. And he got radically saved, and all he wants to do is sing about God. And I said, you got to sing with me. So he came to the Garden Tomb, and we sang How Great Is Our God in Arabic and Hebrew. involved in the writing of some of these songs? Well, I wrote some songs, most of these songs with a close friend Aaron Schust. Jamie Hilson from the band called Mikedem, he wrote Avina with Aaron and I. The theme song of that concert, Come and See, I wrote with Jesse Reeves. He's the guy actually who wrote How Great Is Our God with Chris Tomlin and Ed Cash. Tell us about your concert at the Tower of David in the Old City. As a songwriter, I love to sing songs. Um, but I keep forgetting that my first love is corporate worship. So to be in the old city of Jerusalem, the first ever live messianic uh, you know, recording that's gone out to the globe, and that night was, I don't know if I could say the word magical, but it felt magical. As we were just singing and just shouting the praises of God from the old city, it was, it was amazing. So what lies ahead, your plans, your, uh, your hopes and dreams? We have a big conference we're planning next year, next October in the United States. And then we have a, uh, uh, after that, we're planning a conference uh, internationally to the hard-reached places where we come in, bring the same scale of events 
and sing the good news of Messiah and do that free in these third world countries, but have conferences in first world uh, in the United States and other countries in the future. <laughs> How have Israelis uh, received your music? I'm always surprised how um, just having music out there that's being seen grabs their attention and then they're, they're really surprised. But I have had a, quite a few discussions with people who don't believe in, in, in Jesus and Yeshua who are still uh, are, are touched by the music. Still ahead, an ancient Ethiopian Jewish holiday focused on repentance and thanksgiving becomes mainstream in Israel. Orphans Promise is committed to loving and serving at-risk children, to helping keep families together, and to creating opportunities for strong and sustainable communities around the world. We're working in over 60 countries around the world, and with your help, we can do even more. There's an old African proverb I love that says, if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. At Orphan's Promise, we want to run far so we can touch the lives of as many orphaned and vulnerable children as possible. But we don't want to go alone. We're out to change the world, one child, one family, one community at a time. Will you join us? This week, Ethiopian Jews will mark a special holiday. It's all about thanking God for bringing them back to Israel. Here's a story we did a few years ago about the origin and meaning of this unique celebration. It's called Sigd, an ancient holiday Ethiopian Jews brought with them on their return to Israel. Sigd is a holiday we celebrated for thousands of years in Ethiopia central holiday and symbol of the Ethiopian Jews. Sigd comes from the word Lisgod, to worship the creator of the world. For generations, Ethiopian Jewry dreamed of returning to Jerusalem. Now they celebrate the holiday of Sigd every year right here in the holy city. What we did there was to go up the highest mountain and face the direction of Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Zion and Jerusalem. For the last 10 years, this has been a national holiday, celebrated at Jerusalem's Haas Promenade overlooking the Temple Mount. A ceremony is marked with prayer and fasting. Although Sigd is not named in the Bible, Dr. Simcha Gataon says its origins are found there in various celebrations. We do this 50 days after Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we do personal introspection. And after 50 days, we do collective introspection, together, united. Since 1948, more than 90,000 Ethiopian Jews immigrated to Israel, including some 16,000 secretly airlifted to Israel in 1984, and seven years later, another 14,500 came in just 36 hours. While the community's origins are unknown, their style of Judaism dates back 2,500 years. 
Why does the Ethiopian community still celebrate the holiday in Israel? It's important, first of all, to say thank you to God that he granted us to immigrate to Israel, the Holy Land, the Holy City, to unite with the people of Israel, and in addition to pray that the Third Temple be built, and to pray for all of the people of Israel. This holiday represents the holiday of Sigd, not only for the Ethiopians, but for all the state of Israel, for everyone. From year to year we celebrate this. Look how many people are here. It's really exciting. About 10,000 people came for this year's celebration, and the Ethiopian Jewish community hopes at some point all of Israel will join them. Julie Stahl, the Haas Promenade, Jerusalem, Israel. Well, that's all for this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also access CBN content through our CBN News and other CBN apps. And don't forget to sign up for our email blast so you can continue to receive all of our exciting CBN content. I'm Chris Mitchell. We'll see you next time on Jerusalem Dateline.